is off to the streets of Monte Carlo this weekend for the running of the Monaco Grand Prix, the crown jewel of Formula One, but a race that's come under a lot of criticism lately uh, for being rather boring and just a parade of cars that's running through a city. We'll preview the race and give you the five things to watch out for. Plus, we'll have our track talk segment where we'll go over the weekend's tire strategy and the circuit itself. Plus, we'll have the top five and bottom five from the Spanish Grand Prix of Barcelona. And we'll also have a discussion on the Monaco Grand Prix itself and whether it has become outdated, as people say. This is the Overtake F1 podcast. I'm Tony Desiri. Thanks for joining us. And please, if you've been listening to this podcast, subscribe, leave us a five-star review, all of that stuff, because it does help us grow. We really do appreciate the support. Okay, this is motorsports' biggest weekend on the globe. There are three huge events that are going to go on. You have the Monaco Grand Prix, you've got the Indianapolis 500, and then NASCAR running its Coca-Cola 600 in Charlotte. All on Sunday. Now, if you were to find somebody who did not know anything about Formula One, it's they still probably know Monica. They still probably know the race at Monte Carlo. It's the level of glitz. It's glamour. It has made it the big global event, and it's permeated even the non-racing fans. They, they tend to know that race. So even if people can't name one driver that's on the grid, they know about this event. It's like the Indianapolis 500. This year's race has a championship fight, however, between Red Bull and Ferrari. And hometown favorite Charles Leclerc is looking up now at Max Verstappen in the world championship standings after Verstappen has taken the last three races. And he's also the defending champion at Monte Carlo. It also has Red Bull on top of the constructors standings after a number two one two finish this season this time at Barcelona. All right, so let's get started then. Here are the five things to watch out for for Sunday's Monaco Grand Prix. And the first one right out of the gate is going to be Charles Leclerc. He grew up in Monte Carlo. He dreamed of winning the race. However, he just seems to have bad luck here. Last year, he earned pole position but crashed on his final run. And then Sunday, due to a broken drive shaft, he couldn't run the race at all. And Verstappen ended up being the de facto pole sitter winning the Grand Prix. This year he has a car capable of winning every single race that he finishes, and that's the story going into this weekend. He did have a power issue that caused him a DNF at Barcelona, his first DNF of the season, and he's now chasing Verstappen in the World Championship. He has qualified very well this season. He has four pole positions, and if he can once again put it on the front row like he did last season, he's most likely going to win this race if he can finish. There will be a lot of discussion this week on on Leclerc and also the pressure of winning at his hometown track. The second thing to watch out for for the Monaco Grand Prix is the Red Bull dominance. And it's real. They're on quite a roll lately. Now, Australia was where the team looked like they were in some trouble, right? It was another mechanical issue. Verstappen had a DNF. You know, there was a little bit of a defeatist when you looked at how strong Ferrari was. I mean, they knew it was a long season, but boy, Ferrari was looking really, really strong. But they have responded with some really good results, not just the Verstappen victories, but They've had two 1-2 finishes. They had it at Imola. They had it at Barcelona. Verstappen won at Miami. I mean, things are really coming up Red Bull right now. Now, Ferrari is trying to figure out how to fight back on this, which, again, if you go back to Melbourne, it didn't look like that was ever going to happen. Now, again, we know this changes as the season goes on, but right now they're on top. I mean, think about it last year. Coming out of Barcelona, it looked like Hamilton and Mercedes were just going to be unbeatable. And everything that we thought about, which could be a really good title fight, 
we kind of hedged our bet a little bit. We were wondering, well, if Hamilton keeps this up, we're not going to have a world championship battle between Hamilton and Verstappen. We're just going to have Hamilton run away with the championship. Well, that's not what occurred. They got to Monaco. It was a bad result for Hamilton at Monaco. Verstappen won the race and then off we went. You know, they, you know, Verstappen started winning a bunch of races and had a 30 plus lead going into Silverstone in July. But right now, it is hard to argue the strength of this team. When Verstappen finishes a race, including a sprint race, he wins. And that's where he is right now. The third thing to watch out for, it's Mercedes. They're on an uptick. Now, there's one stat that gets thrown around over and over again, and that's the one where George Russell has finished in the top five in every single race. Maybe you've heard it. But on the flip side, the team is really starting to figure out this car. Some of the porpoising issues are not there, especially on the straights. Hamilton really loved the pace at Barcelona. He drove like a champion in Spain. There are things at this car that looked like it was just going to take a while to fix. They've gotten some upgrades, and now they're starting to be in contention here. Now, whether or not they can get back in the world championship fight, yeah, that's a lot. I mean, it, it doesn't look like that's going to be the case, even though we do have a lot of races left. But they can win some races if this car continues to improve. And we know this about Monaco. Qualifying is going to be extremely important. And if Russell or Hamilton has a good qualifying effort and gets that thing on the front row, then a victory is not that far. So Mercedes on the uptick. That's another thing to watch out for coming up this weekend. Remember, they had a miserable, miserable race last year. It wasn't just Hamilton. Remember, uh, Valtteri Bottas had the stuck nut in the wheel, and, and that was he had to retire from the race after starting P2 on the grid. All right, so the fourth thing, and I just kind of touched on it, and that's qualifying. It, it, you know that this is important. If you've been following Formula One and you know the, the, the Monaco race, you know getting up on that grill is important. It is really, really hard to overtake. The streets are more narrow. The cars are bigger. It is really hard to pass. So you knew this was coming. Qualifying on Saturday is going to be the key. Remember last season when Leclerc got on pole and people thought if he could just get the car out there and he could run it and the car was would be fine, he would win? And it was a time when it was Mercedes and Red Bull and nobody else. Well, that's the reason. The, the reason was because, again, overtaking is so hard at Monte Carlo that, again, it doesn't matter if you're riding, driving a, a sort of weaker Ferrari in 2021 compared to Red Bull and Mercedes. You could still win that Grand Prix. If Ferrari can get on the front row and, and have a car that makes it to the end, they will win the Grand Prix. Qualifying is that important. And right now, Charles Leclerc is doing a fantastic job in qualifying. I've had six races, and he started on pole four times. He does it again, and he did it last year. If he does it again, he could win this Grand Prix rather easily. And, and remember last year, Verstappen was the de facto pole sitter when Leclerc had to pull out, and he knew that you got to get a good run to Sandoval, and he blocked off Valtteri Bottas, had the lead, and that was it. No one was going to catch him. So qualifying on Saturday, that's the one you want to watch to see how this race is going to turn out on Sunday. The fifth thing, and I kind of threw this out there myself, and that's the two McLaren drivers. I'm watching McLaren very closely this season. One, because Daniel Ricciardo's contract is up. I mean, boy, watching Barcelona, it was a tale of two drivers. One was able to get points battling tonsillitis, a high fever, missing engineering sessions, and the other one just struggled and had the CEO of the company saying, well, he's still struggling with the car. And this is a problem. I mean, you want both of your drivers to be able to get points. And 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 Daniel Ricciardo this season, I know he had COVID at the beginning of the year, and I get it. And, and he's one of the most popular drivers on the grid. I love Danny Rick. I think all of us do. But he's really struggling with this team. And it's putting them in a position where they're not competitive as a unit. 
Lando Norris is one of the top drivers in the world. We know that. And there's always going to be a gap between teammates. It's very rare that a team can get two drivers that are on equal footing, right? Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez, there's a gap there. Even Hamilton and Russell, right now there's a gap there in favor of Russell. But there's always going to be a gap. You want it as close as you possibly can. Carlos Sainz and, and Charles Leclerc had that for a bit. Leclerc pulling away now as he's battling for the world championship and Sainz is not. You always want it to try to make it as equal as possible, and it's not there. I mean, for Daniel Ricardo to keep struggling like he is, he's only gotten in the points in Australia. That's it, right? He's got 11 points on the season. Meanwhile, Norris is competing with signs uh, in the World Championship. I mean, he's put himself up there. So I'm watching this because Daniel Ricardo is a previous winner at Monte Carlo. I don't think he has the car to win this Grand Prix. Down the road, they're going to have to make a decision on whether or not they want to make a change in that seat. Because right now, they don't have two drivers that are capable of competing. And where they do with that second seat, where they go with it, a young driver on the up and up, trying to get some, get his feet wet in Formula One, or they poach somebody else to try to fill that role to be a more competitive team, I don't know. But right now, they're struggling with Daniel Ricciardo, and they're not struggling with Lando Norris, who continues to get the most out of that car. All right, so those are the five things to watch out for for the Monaco Grand Prix. Probably the most important one is, again, qualifying on Saturday. But as far as teams go, look out for Mercedes, Red Bull continuing to dominate, Charles Leclerc, the hometown favorite, and, of course, the two drivers at McLaren. All right, now let's get to track talk. And this is where we kind of go over the circuit a little bit, tire strategy, what Pirelli is bringing in. Running through the streets of Monaco certainly is eye candy. Nobody denies that. Running down by the yachts, Casino Square, and, of course, it has tremendous history. It's one of the classic races that is on the calendar anywhere around the world. It has been won by the likes of Senna, Schumacher, Lauden, Hill, and it currently has five former champions of the race in the field. Verstappen, who is the defending champion, Lewis Hamilton, Daniel Ricciardo, Sebastian Vettel, and Fernando Alonso. Teams will be using a lot of downforce on their setup to maximize grip on the street circuit, but it is the first time that teams will be using the new 18-inch tires. And overtaking, you know it, I know it, it gets said all the time, extremely difficult. Really, the only place to do that is at the Nouvelle Chicane after the tunnel. Pirelli going with its softest compounds, no surprise there. C3 for the hard, C4 for the mediums, C5 for the softs. And it's another race where teams will have so much data since, it, you know, it's been running since 1929. I mean, on and off outside of world wars and whatnot. And of course, they did not run in co for COVID in 2020. But there's a lot, a lot of data that they'll be that they've already have on this race. It's going to be a one stopper, not a lot of tire degradation. And it features the slowest corner in Formula One, and that's at the hairpin. And, oh, by the way, we could get rain. Uh, we haven't had rain in, in Monaco in a, long, in a while for a race. I think 2016 was the last time we had some rain. So we could get some weather coming in that could have affected this race as well. But as I mentioned before, one of the things about Monaco that's so appealing is there's a lot of glitz and glamour. And I know some people are turned off by that. But there is, it's, there's sort of a aesthetic beauty to this race that I've always enjoyed. Like, I'm never going to buy a yacht. I'm never going to be able to have sort of the the balcony lifestyle of living in Monte Carlo, but 
I think there is something kind of neat about seeing cars running through the streets, passing these, you know, beautiful buildings and also the yachts down by the, by the pier, the pool. And there's just something about this Grand Prix. Now, later in this podcast, we're going to talk about its effectiveness as a Formula One venue and whether or not the current conversation of whether this is an outdated race or valid in 2022. But for right now, that's kind of what you're getting is a street circuit that's got a lot of familiarity with people with the drivers because this is Monaco and it's been Monaco is one of the crown jewels of motorsports around the globe. All right. Now it's time to do top five and bottom five from the last Grand Prix. And that is the Spanish Grand Prix from Barcelona. And we start with the bottom five up. And if you're kind of new to this podcast, I want to make it clear. And I do try to do this as much as I possibly can. Sometimes it's all drivers. Sometimes it's circumstances. Sometimes it's teams. It's, it's sort of a wide open category as to how you can be in the top five or the bottom five. But uh, this time it's pretty much all drivers. So we're going to start with the bottom five, five all the way to one. And number five on the list is Kevin Magnuson. He did try to get past Lewis Hamilton on the first lap. It didn't work out. He later said that Hamilton was blameless for that. Could have left him a little bit more room. Magnuson went into the gravel. He went back onto the track after an unscheduled pit stop but he just couldn't get back into the fight. Um, and I, I, it was too bad, too, because Haas had both drivers into Q3 on Saturday and looking for a really good result from both Magnussen and Schumacher. But he just got a little too close, tangled up with Hamilton, and then that was it. That was it for the race. It's just a matter of just driving around and trying to finish. Number four on the list, and that's Ferrari as a team. All right, so this is the one time I didn't go driver. Ferrari, really tough weekend for the Scuderia as a whole. They had this race in the bag, and then the engine died on Charles Leclerc's car, and that was it. Plus, for the third time this season, Carlos Sainz found the gravel. Now, he was able to get back on the track, and he had a P4 finish, whereas the other ones caused him to have DNFs. But at the end of the day, watching the dominance of Red Bull and everything now set back, they're looking up now at both the constructors and the driver championship. Uh, It was not a very good weekend for Ferrari whatsoever. The third one on the list in our bottom five, that's Pierre Gasly, finished 13th. He caused Lance Stroll to spin out a bit. He was not a factor in this race at all. He had some damage, of course, that caused him to lose some pace, not entirely his fault. But also remember he had a tangle with Lando Norris at Miami. It just has not been a good run of late for Pierre Gasly, who you know, really does a good job for AlphaTauri. I mean, he really does. He puts the car sometimes in that top 10, you know, P6, P4, P5. Lately, though, it has not been working out. Barcelona was not a good race for him. Damage, yes, but you still sometimes, even with damage, you get in the bottom five. Like our next participant, Alex Albon, who's number two. Now, I, I, I'm not gonna. I'm not saying that this is massively disappointing. He is driving a Williams, and they're not extremely competitive. But the reality of it is Albon has just driven the wheels off this car in the past and things were kind of looking up for him. It's, it was kind of like a game within the game. It's like, what can Alex Albon do with this Williams at this particular race, right? Run on a set of tires for 56 laps or, you know, really work his way through the field to try to battle to get that final point, maybe trying to get a P10, for example. So things are, we're looking up for Albon, but he had damage to his car as well. And he was also a non-factor. He finished last among the finishing drivers and finished behind Nicholas Latifi, his teammate for the first time this season. So that alone should put you in the bottom five, but he is number two on our bottom five list from uh, Spain. And number one, I talked about him earlier and that's Daniel Ricardo. I'm sorry. Uh, Zach Brown says he's struggling with the car. 
The difference between him and Lando Norris is pretty big. And I, I feel bad for him. Again, I know at the beginning of the season, he was out due to COVID. He's just not getting acclimated to the car enough. Had a good run in Australia, but then find me where he has been somewhat competitive. Right. I mean, it's, it's been a struggle this season for Danny Rick. And I got to tell you, watching Lando Norris with tonsillitis getting up, getting into the points and he couldn't get that car into the points. They made three pit stops, four different set of tires. Nothing worked. I'm sorry, Daniel Ricardo, you're number one on the bottom five. And again, I really like most people around the world like Daniel Ricardo. All right, it's time to get to the top five now and five all the way down to one. We'll start with five and a guy I think kind of got screwed over in the Barcelona, uh, the Spanish Grand Prix, and that's Sergio Perez. He got a P2 and he played the teammate role perfectly. It's exactly what you want. A guy that's not going to fight you, right? They told him if Max is quicker, move out of the way. He moved out of the way. But think about it. He probably could have won this race. Right. Verstappen was having DRS problems coming in and out. He had 17 laps to go when he was the leader of the race. I think he could have made the tires work. He's kind of notorious for that. He'll ride, drive those. He'll drive the wheels off the car. I think he could have won the Grand Prix if Verstappen was continuing to have some DRS troubles. And it's kind of hard to overtake at Barcelona anyway. I think Perez could have won this Grand Prix, but he played the teammate role nicely. Did get a P2. So I'm going to give him credit for doing his job at Red Bull and the fact that once again, he helped the team get their second one, two finish of the season. We'll go back to 2016. The last time Red Bull had a one, two finish and now they've had two this year. All right. So Sergio Perez is number five, number four, that's Lando Norris, a P8 again, after tonsillitis, high fever, high temperatures, it was broiling in Barcelona. And he even missed some engineering sessions, and he still found a way to get into the top 10. As I talked about with Daniel Ricciardo, I think Lando Norris did a marvelous job given his circumstances. He was cleared, so before some of you think, man, should he even been in the car? You make it sound like he was on death's door. No, he was cleared to be able to drive. Again, you, you do have to be cleared. You don't want to be a danger to yourself or anybody out there on the, on the circuit. So he was cleared to drive, and again, I mean, with the high temperatures and a high fever, he was able to get into the points. So Lando Norris is fourth. He, I, I wish he could be higher, but the, the next three did a just amazing job. And that's number three in Lewis Hamilton. He was driver of the day. He had to pit late due to the puncture after tangling with K-Mag. He raced all the way back through the field. He had a rocket ship. He knew it, said so afterwards. He finished P5. He was fourth before they gave him the orders to coast and lift because he needed to cool the car. They told him it was a DNF possibility. So he could have gotten a fourth place finish with no trouble. It would have been right behind his teammate. Lewis Hamilton said that some of the issues that this car had at the beginning of the season are now are gone or minimized. They are still working on it when they do. I think Mercedes is going to win some races this year. It may not be Hamilton because it may be the guy we have at number two. And that's George Russell. As I said earlier, you keep hearing it. Nobody finishes better this season than George Russell. It was a P3, another top five finish. He's done it in all six races this year. But one of the reasons that I put him in two is not so much getting a podium. It's the great, great track battles that he had with Max Verstappen. Defended really well. A lot of fun to watch. Russell in that Mercedes, we knew it was coming. All those years he spent at Williams, we were waiting for the day that Mercedes would promote him up to this big team. 
It has worked so well. I don't think anybody's really surprised, but maybe these results are a little surprising given the struggles that Mercedes has had with this new car in 2022. But again, what you want your driver to do is get the most out of it, and Russell is getting the most out of it, and then some. Again, a top five finish in all six races this season. But number one, of course, is Max Verstappen. Complaining about DRS, needed to get that working, couldn't get it working. It came in and out, uh, struggled at times with it. It did spin out gust of wind, caused him to go onto the gravel. But Charles Leclerc's DNF was a real main factor in Verstappen winning this race. If 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 Leclerc had no power issues, they weren't going to catch him. They weren't going to undercut him. Leclerc would have cruised to victory, and we'd be having a different conversation today in terms of momentum and who's going into Monaco red hot. But you take advantage of the circumstances that are presented to you. Verstappen had a circumstance presented to him when the leader of this race was out, and he did. Again, help from his teammate, which, again, I don't know if he could he could overtake him. Probably, but we'll never know with 17 laps remaining. But Max Verstappen took advantage. He's now the... He is the defending world champion. He's now leading in the points. He's got Red Bull on top of the constructors. And again, like George Russell's top five finish in all six races, we hear this a lot too. When Verstappen finishes a Grand Prix, he wins. And he has done so three straight times and also a sprint race at Imola. When Max Verstappen sees the checkered flag, he is victorious. All right, so that's top five and bottom five from the Spanish Grand Prix in Barcelona. So now let's close out this podcast with a discussion about Monaco itself. So there's a lot of conversation now about whether or not this is an outdated race. And as many of you know, and if you're new to Formula One, Monaco, the crown jewel of the sport, la-da-da-da-da. But the reality of it is, is the cars are big and the streets are still very narrow and it becomes impossible to overtake. And again, when you're talking about a race, people want to see a race. They don't want to see a parade of cars going very, very fast. And Monaco, unfortunately is presenting you a, 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 a Grand Prix where the cars are just going very, very fast without any real overtaking. And that's a problem for the sport. It's a problem right now for Liberty Media, who own Formula One, because they are trying to reel in a bunch of new fans. And if your main event, if your, if your biggest event on the calendar in terms of prestige is a just, again, a bunch of cars going around a street circuit without any real racing action, then... How do you sell it to new fans? I, I'll tell you right now, I have a cousin. He did the whole drive to survive thing. And I had to tell him, look, this weekend, Monte Carlo, you're just starting to watch Grand Prix. It's not the one to get excited about when it comes to Formula One. As I said earlier, it's eye candy. It's, it's beautiful. The beautiful people come out. It's glitz. It's glamour. It's stars. It's yachts. It's champagne. It's, it's, and I know for some of us, it's a turnoff. For some of us, it's it's a it's a it's a sight to behold. Nevertheless, no matter how you feel about the glitz and glamour of Monte Carlo, the reality of it is the racing isn't good. So, is it outdated? Well, that's the other problem. There's heritage here, and and sometimes it's very hard to cut heritage. I wouldn't want to be the guy that had to make a decision on the future of Monte Carlo. The contract is coming up. And I wouldn't want to be the one that has to make a decision about whether or not this race is on the calendar. A lot of drivers live in Monte Carlo for tax reasons. I think there is something about this race when you have, when you're looking at a calendar that's got 22 this year, we had 23, but the Russian Grand Prix is not going to be replaced. They're expanding in Miami, going to Las Vegas next year. There is glitz and glamour. It's Singapore, too. Miami is trying to be a Monaco of the United States in terms of its fake harbor in the, in the car park. All of those things 
could make Monaco obsolete in terms of racing, but it will never replace Monaco in terms of heritage. And heritage has value. Listen, I know NASCAR, for example, has a lot of heritage at certain tracks. There's a lot of history, for example, at Rockingham, North Wilkesboro. But those tracks no longer exist on the calendar because as NASCAR was growing to different pockets around the United States, it had to get rid of some some races. It had to get rid of some venues. And it found that Rockingham and North Wilkesboro, places like that, needed to disappear so they could go to Chicagoland and they could go to Kansas and they could go to Vegas and they could go to Fontana and different places like that. But also, if you if you want to sort of use a NASCAR comparison, I will say this for those who are more familiar with the way NASCAR works. Not everything needs to be a super speedway. Right. We know that not every race needs to be Talladega or needs to be Daytona or those sort of speedways where you get like California or Vegas, where it's not super speedway, but it's it's not Martinsville either. Right. Sometimes you need a different kind of track and a different kind of event. And I think that's where I lie with Monaco. Am I looking forward to the race? I haven't looked forward to a Monaco Grand Prix in a while. I, I, I get its importance, and I get that winning there puts you among some of the great names in the sport, without question. There's something special about winning the Monaco Grand Prix, even if it's, the most, it's not the most exciting race on the calendar. Again, would I want to see it gone, replaced by what? just so I can have one more weekend of exciting racing, would I really want to give up this tradition? No, I wouldn't. I can put up with the fact that the, the sport has outgrown its venue. There's no question about it. The cars are much bigger than it was back in the day when the races were more exciting there. Again, it's so hard to overtake that these races are just not, as fun or exciting as some others around the world. I talked about this when I, with the, in the Miami Grand Prix review. There are three races on the calendar here in the United States that get network television coverage. Now, for those of you who are outside the United States, all of our races are on ESPN, a cable channel. Every now and then, a Formula One race is on ABC which is one of the main networks here in the country, NBC, CBS, um, ABC, Fox. Those are network television. If you're on network television, it's a big deal. If you're off cable, it's a big deal. NBA finals, for example, are on network TV. Some of the playoffs are on cable. There are three races this year that are on network TV, Austin, Miami, and Monaco. If you are looking to promote this sport in the United States, those are the three that are getting network coverage. Now, naturally, you'd want both of the races that you have in the United States on network TV. And it got great numbers for what it was when, when they were in Miami a couple of weeks ago. But Monte Carlo, if again, if you're looking for new fans in the United States, this isn't going to be the one that people are going to go, oh, my God, I need more of that. So I think there's the, always the caveat people like me kind of have to give new fans, which is this isn't the one that's going to make it exciting about racing formula one cars. But I do think it has a place on this calendar. I think it's okay for this sport to go to one place, one time for tradition. I know it's an expensive sport and Monaco doesn't exactly fill the pockets of formula one like it used to in the day. And it's also a place that has its own advertising that you see around the circuit. 
So there's a lot of financial reasons why Formula One may not want to go and renew the contract with Monte Carlo. But again, be the guy that has to say no to this. Be the board that says no to this. Because you're not going to go back. I don't think you'd go back. You'd find other races on the calendar to replace it. There's more cities around the world that will be more than willing to put together something to bring in Formula One. And it would never go back. How would it go back? I mean, think about it for a second. How would it go back if you took it off the calendar? Let's go back to Monte Carlo for what reason? It, It would be a period of time where you would not have the race. And so then you would start losing, a generation would be coming and they wouldn't feel the same nostalgic pull for this Grand Prix as those of us who are older and have been following the sport for quite some time. So you would lose that. Just like nobody pines for North Wilkesboro anymore on, in the NASCAR series, you would, you, would, you would literally have a younger audience saying, Monte Carlo, eh, I don't, that's, my, that's my dad's race. That's my grandfather's race. I don't, I don't need it. And that's, that's the dilemma that they're in. That decision, if they decide not to renew this, because it's not, more, it's not financially feasible, the racing isn't that good, it's sort of outdated, if they pull it, they're never going back to Monte Carlo. Never. Oh, well, I should never say never. You know, you know, you never know what new, a new promoter could come in and dice it up a little bit. So I'll never say never. But the reality of it is, it would be very hard to go back. So my verdict on this is, keep it. Every now and then, you got to go to a, a different kind of place. Every now and then, you got to go to a place because it's heritage. One, it's, every now and then, you got to go to a place because it's history. And you, I think we can all put up with one race that's not so exciting if we're getting other venues where it is exciting. And I've said this many times on this podcast, not every Grand Prix, and I've, I've warned the new fans of this many, many times, not every Grand Prix is a winner, right? Not every Grand Prix is going to give you wheel-to-wheel action. We talked about this with Barcelona. Barcelona is another one that's notorious for having boring races. The fact that this last one wasn't was kind of a surprise to some people. I may be older, but I don't want to see Monaco go away at all. So I think that, It's okay to just have one of these races that's just a little different than the others. All right, so that's our Monaco Grand Prix preview. We will have a review of the race coming up next week. Once again, reminder, subscribe to this podcast if you like what we've been doing. I'm an American broadcaster trying to deliver more Formula One conversation in the United States, but I do appreciate all of you around the world who have listened to this podcast. Please subscribe. Leave us a five-star review. We're trying to grow. And if you really like it, please share it because uh, it really helps. Again, uh, look for our Monaco Grand Prix review coming up next week. I'm Tony Desiri. Thanks for listening. This is the Overtake F1 Podcast.